I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hola, 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 humanos. Un episodio más de Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. Aquí estamos Nick Leiber, Lisa Button y Guillermo Fesser dispuestos a disfrutar de un nuevo ser humano que se mueve por esas aguas que hemos dado en llamar bilingüismo. Gente de ida y vuelta, gente que utiliza el español para expresar unos sentimientos y el inglés para hacerse entender en otros. Hoy hablamos de bilingüismo y también de periodismo. ¿Se puede ser periodista en dos idiomas? ¿Se puede ser periodista y que te entiendan dos comunidades? ¿O te tienes que quedar en que te entienda la mitad? Para ello, hemos invitado a una profesional de primera línea, porque este show nunca invita a gente de clase B, siempre son invitados de primerísima línea. Y Nick Leiber se ha pasado toda la noche, eh, concretamente ocho horas, eh, preparándose la presentación, estudiando a fondo la biografía, eh, viajando virtualmente por museos del mundo para recopilar la información que ahora nos cuenta. Atención, conectamos con Brooklyn Nick Leiber. ¿Cómo estamos? Hello, thank you, Guillermo. So, Graciela Mochowski, lo digo bien? Vale, okay. Is a, you're a non-fiction author. You're the executive director of the Center for Community Media at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY in Manhattan. You're also the director of the bilingual program. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you, or we wanted to talk to you, is because you're, A, you're bilingual, and B, because I'm worried about journalism in the United States. And I feel like many people who read stories Some of them care about the facts, some of them care about what's going on in their communities, but I also feel like there are a lot of people who don't really care what's going on. Part of that reason is because they don't feel the media represents them, they don't see themselves in the media, or the media isn't talking about problems they care about. And I know that you, Graciela, have been working um, to sort of improve or, or solve both of those problems. So, bueno, es, es un lujo poder hablar contigo. And I wanted to ask you to talk, should we be optimistic about journalism right now in the United States and about the, the idea of, of people being represented within the media and outside the media? Okay, thank you. Mil gracias por invitarme. Es un, es un placer y es uh, un, un, uh, me parece una gran idea hacer un programa en el que uno puede expresarse como se, expri como se expresa viviendo en New York en la vida normal con half the words in English y la otra mitad en español, <risa> eh, que es el lenguaje, el verdadero lenguaje de las comunidades latinas en buena parte de este país, es uh, un Spanglish que varía de comunidad en comunidad. So, razones para ser optimista, um, I think so, I think there was a, a long period of time uh, in this country where there was this paradigm about what news media was and who was it for, and there was this idea by quote-unquote, mainstream media organizations that they were serving everyone in this country and that there was one model of journalism and that collapsed with the digital disruption and that collapsed with the, um, you know, the, the disruption of the business model and the 
communication engagement models that uh, mainstream media had for a long time. And now because of social media, because of the way people get their news, because of the new generations who are pushing for change and for representation and for equity, uh, I think it's a very, it's a very tricky moment because money has, you know, revenue is really tricky and it's very hard for many outlets to be sustainable in terms of, you know, financial stability. But at the same time, there's room for more, many more voices um, that, you know, the voices who never had any access to uh, the news agenda or to um, the larger audiences, the general market audiences in this country, there were always community media organizations serving, particularly in this country, communities of color and immigrant communities. Um, but, and then there was the mainstream media that thought they were really neutral and kind of the right model and serving everyone. And now it's become very transparent that those um, that model didn't work for everybody, that it left a lot of people out. Wait, wait. I'm going to interrupt you, por favor, because I'd like to hear your opinion about the newsrooms of uh, mainstream media in this country. Do you think they represent our actual diversity, Graciela? Y más concretamente, ya que estamos en este podcast, ¿hay periodistas hispanas en las redacciones? Uh, we still have today, um, the newsrooms in this country are very much white and very much male. There's, it's very hard for women and for people of color to have uh, a career in, in, in mainstream media journalism and in general, in, even in local journalism, you see it, it's still very much, um, it doesn't really represent the social fabric and the amazing diversity of this country. Uh, and then you go to Latino media. so. Latino media or medios or los medios en español, uh, we did a, re a report, a state of Latino media report uh, last year that we launched for the summit. So you, if you were there, you saw it. And we found there's 624 news outlets serving, specifically serving Latino, local Latino communities in, in the entire country. Most of that, 80% of that is in Spanish. They live in a very different reality, I would say, from Anglo mainstream media in many local places. They are completely invisible to uh, English language mainstream media. Mainstream media journalists uh, see Spanish language media as foreign. And that's, that's also a, a statement that you can, you, you can actually use to define a lot of the Latino population in this country. They are still very much seen as foreign by the, you know, the rest of, of, of America. Those outlets know their communities. There's um, a trust in many of these journalists and these outlets that you don't see anymore in local journalism in this country, that it's one of the big conversations of our time, I think, in terms of um, the news, uh, the state of the news um, system here, that people have, have lost, a lot of people have lost trust in the news. Uh, Spanish language media still have a lot of, uh, are, they, are still very much trusted in many communities, particularly Spanish speaking immigrant communities. But we found again and again cases of you know, uh, neighbors and vecinos who, you know, it, they, before calling um, uh, 911, they just called the local reporter. Uh, and if, you know, a, 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 el perrito se les pierde y llaman al, al reportero de, de, del periódico local o, al, o de la radio. Uh, or, you know, ICE is coming to their doors and they just, instead of calling a lawyer, they will call the local reporter. ¿Tú crees que es porque sospechan que el reportero es el que se ha llevado el perrito? Quizá? <laughs> no lo creo, no, no he llegado tan al fondo. No, porque saben que, saben que la comunidad eh, 
que es, el, es a donde es la persona a la que va toda la comunidad para buscar yeah, yeah. información, ¿verdad? Yeah. Y, y son tenemos, gente conocida por su nombre. Tenemos una llamada desde Rhinebeck, Nueva York. Hola, buenas tardes, buenas tardes, ¿qué tal? ¿Cómo está? Muy bien, muchas gracias. Eh, sí, ¿tiene alguna pregunta para la invitada? Sí, mire, tenía una pregunta para la invitada de, de gran interés. Adelante con su pregunta, por favor, sea breve y, 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 y diríjase directamente a la invitada. Sí, sin ningún problema, enseguida voy. Muchísimas gracias, estoy un poquito nervioso, pero voy a intentar. Eh, la pregunta que tenía yo, eh, llamo desde Rhinebeck, Nueva York, no sé si lo he dicho, soy yo que, que he llamado a cobro revertido, eh, es eh, que me da la impresión de que en los medios de comunicación estadounidenses se confunden las preposiciones, eh, o sea, está más la redacción de los periódicos o de las televisiones o de las radios que utilizan en español preocupadas con la preposición en, noticias en, en, es, en español, en lugar de noticias de español. Quiero decir que, que yo, porque hable español, no tiene por qué interesarme solo noticias que le pasen a gente que habla español. Y porque yo hable español, si soy de Guatemala, no tiene por qué interesarme la, la parade de la Virgen del Cisne de Ecuador que se hace en Washington D.C. el 17 de mayo. Eh, entonces, eh, lo que ocurre es que las noticias en español se retroalimentan en comunidades muy pequeñitas y, y solo hablan de cosas que pasan a, en español o a la gente que habla español. Y a la gente que habla español, o que es bilingüe, que para eso estamos en este podcast, le pueden interesar cosas que hablan gente que habla chino, gente que habla inglés, por supuesto, en este país, o gente que no habla. Eh, eh, les interesan noticias. Entonces, yo creo que esa es la confusión. ¿Cuándo conseguiremos pasar de esa línea roja de que, señores, el español es un vehículo para contar cosas, cualquier cosa, pero no el español es... Hay que poner un poquito para hablando de lo español, ¿no? No sé, no sé si estoy tan de acuerdo con tú. O sea, idealmente sí, pero en realidad los medios en español ofrecen un servicio que comunidades inmigrantes cuyo, que, se, que, que se manejan mejor en español que en inglés que es crítico para esas comunidades porque no pueden conseguir esa información en ningún otro lado. Es decir, si los medios que, que informan en inglés informaran sobre temas que importan a estas comunidades o a otras comunidades eh, que son vistas todavía como, entre comillas, minorías en este país, entonces sí, entonces todo claro, el mundo claro, tendría viaje, que simplemente... ¿Verdad? Pero, es un viaje pero de ida y vuelta. Sí, sí, es un viaje en, de ida y vuelta, en, efectivamente. Y, no? y de verdad, yo creo que no es el español lo que lo define. O sea, el español es... Eh, hay un tema idiomático simplemente por nuestras historias y las historias de nuestras comunidades. Eh, y el español es muy importante para nuestras comunidades y sigue seguir haciéndolo y sigue siéndolo como está medido en todos los estudios durante por lo menos tres generaciones después del primero que llegó aquí. Y todavía hay muchas comunidades que son... Eh, inmigrantes o primera generación. Entonces el español sigue siendo algo muy importante emocionalmente, socialmente, culturalmente eh, y un modo de comunicarse, pero... No, estoy de acuerdo, pero ¿no te, no te parece que, uh -huh. que el periodismo ahora mismo se queda ahí, en ese servicio social que es fundamental, por supuesto, pero se queda ahí, que esas mismas eh, comunidades eh, avanzan, que los hijos de esa gente de primera avanzada se convierten en bilingües y muchas veces los perdemos y se van al inglés y ya no regresan al español. Ese camino entre el inglés y el español que estamos averiguando, ¿por qué no lo, qué no lo trabajamos? Bueno, no, pero hay algunos medios muy interesantes que justamente eh, hablan o, o informan a esas comunidades bilingües o que, o que tienen el inglés como el idioma más fuerte. Mi hijo, por ejemplo, que se está criando en esta ciudad, eh, es totalmente bilingüe. Su inglés y su español, en los dos casos, son mejores que los míos. Mi español es más fuerte que mi inglés. Eh, y para él es natural ir de un idioma al otro y puede elegir en qué idioma vivir. Sabes, hay una, millones de personas en este país que son así, dos tercios de los latinos en este país son gente muy joven y son gente que son en general hijos, son nacidos aquí, son hijos de inmigrantes la mayoría. Eh, y esa gente puede elegir y en muchos casos elige el inglés. Eh, hay una necesidad, yo creo, coincido, hay una necesidad de que haya más medios 
eh, yo quisiera que hubiera muchos medios que hablaran este bilingüe, que estas comunidades hablan, que usaran el español y el inglés del modo que estas personas lo usan. Hay algunos medios que lo hacen, Remezcla lo hace, Latino USA lo hace, María Hinojosa en todo lo que ella produce lo hace. Eh, hay una cantidad de medios locales, pequeños, hay un podcast eh, precioso en, 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 cerca de Chicago que lo hace, que se llama ¿Qué pasa mi gente? ¿Qué pasa Midwest? Eh, hay, no, hemos encontrado, hay, como un, hay, un, hay un momento, ahora también tengo, tiene que ver con el momento histórico de la población latina y cómo, y cómo en los últimos 10, 15 años el crecimiento ha venido no por olas migratorias, sino por nacimientos dentro de este país. Entonces, esa comunidad angloparlante y latina va creciendo y claramente va a seguir creciendo. Lo que yo creo es que hay una ausencia, quizás, hay dos ausencias, uno de medios, de más medios que sean culturalmente relevantes, para esas audiencias, claro. y, de, y, de que además el, y que además los demás medios eh, de este país, del mainstream, del de mercado general, los vean y tengan interés en, en servirlos y dar información que es relevante para esa gente. Tienes un programa en el que estás entrenando a los journalistas para mañana. ¿Cómo estás aproximando a ellos with this landscape of what Guillermo is saying of let's not only focus on Spanish speaking communities because we live all together in a community of various like micro communities together. So what is your approach in your program that is training bilingual reporters? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So we, we, when I was, uh, I was hired in 2016 by the CUNY J School to launch the first bilingual master's program, journalism master's program in the country, which I found uh, just mind-blowing the idea that there wasn't another one that was, had, I thought, you know, there should have been for a long time, you know, master's programs training bilingual reporters because there's so many people with those skills, with the language skills, and so, and Latinos are 20% of this country, and uh, particularly in the past years, but not, not just, I mean, since the 80s, they have been part of the, you know, particularly the, Im the immigrant or the migrant community has been such a big um, part of the news agenda, the, the country, the news agenda in the country and the political agenda. You know, it didn't exist, so I was uh, hired to launch the first one. So the program basically has half of their courses in Spanish, half of the training is in Spanish, half of the training is in English. There's no difference in the type of training. I mean, you have to have the same skills that every journalist, we don't have a different approach to that. You know, there's two differences from the full English kind of master's program from the general MA. One is that we teach the students, the, the young journalists, um, to use their bilingualism to better serve, uh, to, to do better journalism and how to, you know, writing in one English, in, in English or in Spanish, it's different and it, it, it's not translation as you know, you have to really adapt and, and build different structures of how you, in, in the way you, you use your language. But also what we train these reporters to do is in having a, a 360 view of this country and so find what they really are great at is at finding the report, the, the stories that are underreported. Las historias que nadie más cuenta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what they, what they learn is that they have to go out and find stories 
you know, they, they want, they want to, we want them to use the Spanish, so it's mostly Latino communities and um, uh, go to those communities. And New York, of course, is full of neighborhoods that are very Latino and, uh, and where they can find sources uh, and people to write about that live in Spanish or in, in, in both languages. So what they do is they need to find the stories that are important for those people and those communities, but no one, is, no one else is telling. At the end of the program, we have this outcome committee that looks at the work of the portfolios of all of the students that have gone, who have gone through the program. And what we see usually, and, and we bring um, external judges to, to, to see this and judge where, where, where are the gaps and where is the improvement needed and also where is it successful. And every year what we find is that they are just uh, fascinated by the scope of stories and the type of stories and the, and the fact that they find uh, important issues and topics that are really not in the news agenda, not, not of uh, English language media or Spanish language media, because Spanish language media, and this is another report, and we can also talk about this if you're interested, but also the, the news agenda of, of the Spanish language media in this country, and that goes back to what Guillermo was saying, is also kind of, is limited, and it has to do with the, with the struggles and the fights of Latinos in this country, but it is not as broad as as the real interests of the entire population um, that you know lives in Spanish in this country. Perdone, soy el de la llamada anterior. Puedo colgar ya? Si usted quiere. Muchas muchas gracias. Sí, es que tengo mi vida privada. Muchísimas gracias, eh, por toda la respuesta. De nada. So we train between 10 and 15 students every time. So it's, it's the, the cohort is the size of a, of a class. So, and we don't have classes uh, with more than 15 students because every, every class is very much um, uh, a small newsroom. And perdone, so perdone, want... perdone que le interrumpa, por favor. Perdone, no, al final no me he ido que me ha interesado lo que comentaba. <laughs> Ay, este tío no cuelga, ¿qué le pasa? <laughs> eh, no, eh, como las llamadas locales son gratis, pues, pues me estoy aprovechando. Que, eh, pregunta. O sea, eh, curso de periodismo bilingüe, clases en inglés, clases en español, eh, instigar la curiosidad de los humanos para que descubran historias allí donde otros no miran. ¿Y el resultado cuál es? ¿Escriben unas veces en inglés, escriben otras veces en español? ¿O existe el periodismo bilingüe en Estados Unidos o todavía no existe? Eh, existe, existe muy pocas experiencias en donde, en general, son eh, orales. Existen muchísimos programas de radio. Eh, 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 talk shows sobre todo, donde el lenguaje es este, donde la gente en la misma oración pasa del inglés al español todo el tiempo. En New York hay un montón de esos shows, um, pero no, no necesariamente son news shows, no necesariamente son eh, sobre información, sino generalmente es una tertulia, conversación. Eh, y luego hay, remezcla usa el bilingüismo, pero de un modo muy, muy lo mismo que María Enojosa en sus shows, como es, es mayormente en inglés con, con uso... Concesio, concesiones al español o alguna no, no, no expresión sé si graciosa o alguna... Sí, o palabras, exacto, porque sí, saben sí. Que, sus que sus audiencias entienden la palabra. Sí. Entonces... O lo no, lo no traducible, ¿no? Porque ese es el otro... Eh, también. Eh, esa es la pregunta, el horror de la traducción, ¿no? Eh, eh, los que hemos salido de un idioma y nos hemos metido en otro, ¿no? How many times... They... How do you translate that in Spanish? Sí. No, you don't, you don't say that, ¿no? O en inglés lo mismo. ¿Y cómo dices esto? Oye, pues lo... si estás ahí sabrás cómo se dice. Es que no se dice. Claro, ¿verdad? Entonces, eh, en eso hay muy poco. Eh, mis estudiantes, siempre en, en, hay una clase, yo dicto una clase sobre medios, eh, sobre el, eh, medios eh, latinos en Estados Unidos, y eso siempre es parte de la conversación, el, el, el lenguaje. Ahora, 
eso depende de la audiencia, como todo medio y todo contenido, depende de la audiencia, ¿verdad? Porque depende a quién, para quién uno está haciendo, a quién uno está sirviendo con ese servicio de noticias. Es decir, si es, eh, a Univisión no le sirve hacer eso, porque Univisión sirve sobre todo comunidades eh, inmigrantes, primera generación, que no se manejan tan bien en el inglés, y entonces que, que además parte de la, de la maravilla de que haya medios en español es también tener un medio que hable totalmente en tu idioma, ¿verdad? En claro, este país claro. donde uno vive el resto del tiempo siempre en inglés. Eh, pero sin embargo ellos lanzaron en los últimos años en su, en su operación digital un medio, ellos tienen también Univision News Digital y es totalmente en inglés y no solamente es eh, traducción, es mayormente traducción, pero sobre todo adaptación y también han producido en colaboración con medios anglo, han, producen eh, contenido en inglés para que el, los temas que importan a las comunidades inmigrantes latinas tengan mayor eh, exposición y mayor visibilidad, ¿verdad? Pero hay... Yo creo que ahora, ahora es el, hay suficiente masa crítica, una generación muy grande, de nuevo dos tercios de los latinos son millennial o younger, son es gente de menos de 40 años, eh, y la mayoría son mucho menores de 40 años, es decir, el promedio eh, de esa comunidad creo que es 18 años o algo así, y esa gente se maneja muy bien en inglés, tan bien en inglés como en español, porque es esa primera generación inmigrante, eh, de, perdón, las, 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 los hijos de los inmigrantes. Entonces, lo que yo creo que sí hay una enorme oportunidad para crear medios eh, y contenido para esa gente, para esa comunidad, que son millones de personas, eh, que son como todas las comunidades latinas, comunidades muy diversas internamente también, y con intereses distintos, y con distintos españoles, que es otra cosa para hablar, ¿verdad? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Si te interrumpen desde, desde Brooklyn, tenemos una llamada. Sí, atención, buenas noches. I wanted to change the subject a little bit and ask you about your own work, about what you find interesting and about what you're, what you're working on and, and thinking about. Yes, so I'm still, I'm still trying to write. I have, so my, my career, I, I'm from Argentina, in, in case nobody noticed. <laughs> and I did most of my uh, career as a reporter, as a political, a crime first, and then a crime reporter, and then a political reporter in Buenos Aires. And then I came here seven years ago, and um, I've been, I've done the translingual uh, experiment, so I've been writing magazine pieces here in English, and I still write in both languages, uh, kind of separately. Uh, I have a book that is coming out soon. It's a book about, it's a, it's a conversion, religious conversion story. It's a story of a community uh, originally from Peru. Um, This is the prophet, the prophet of the Andes? The Prophet of the Andes. That's the working title, it might change, but yes. Ah. So I wrote that book in Spanish and it's actually going, uh, it's been translated now. It's going to come out in English before it comes out in Spanish. And that book, because I sold it here uh, to a publishing house here in New York, and that it's a story about, really it's a story of a man and then a community that followed this man. And he went from, uh, it's, he's from the north of Peru, from Cajamarca, and he went from Catholicism to uh, the, the uh, Seventh-day Adventist church to creating his own church then becoming um, uh, Orthodox Jew, an Orthodox Jew, and, and then that's kind of the, the religious transformation and then the geographical transformation. He 
went from the uh, Andes uh, to the Amazon, to uh, the uh, coast, coast of Peru, the Pacific coast of Peru, and then, well, the only coast that Peru has, so to Trujillo, and then from then with 500 other people um, immigrated to the occupied territories in the in the West Bank, and they are now set. Well, he died, but his community is now a community of hundreds of settlers in the West Bank. So it's is the that's what the book kind of follows, and I, I work uh, on that book for a long time. Well, I have two full time jobs at the school, so there's not a lot, and a kid, and, and a pandemic. So it's been it's a bit challenging sometimes, but I'm I'm trying to write um, more. I wrote this uh, state of the Latino news media last year, um, as part of the work I do, the research work I do at the CUNY at the Newmar J School at CUNY, and then I'm now trying to write um, in a in a new way or from a new perspective that might be maybe more convincing or persuasive on the why that approach has to change and how, yeah. you know, Latinos are so much part of the future of this country. And, I completely, I completely, I completely reading you and, and understand what you're saying. I just finished a, a, a book myself and it's a story about a waiter who's been in the oyster bar in Grand Central for over ah. 50 years, Marcelo. Mm -hmm. and, and how many people like this guy uh, are part of our daily life mm -hmm. and it's somebody with a background in Spanish and when you say background in Spanish you say uh, with a language with a culture with a history that is as rich as the English culture or the German culture or the Indian culture or any culture in the, the planet it's not like you know a few works for immigrants that didn't have the chance to go to school uh, it's a very very you're, you know very very uh, interesting background there but it's in your eyes, it's a, it's a waiter, and you ask for a beer, and then you go, and that's it. How many of these points are, that's, are in New York, especially, you know, through our lives? So I think so. And when you talk about your, your book, and when you talk about the reporters and your masters going and look for stories that are under the rug, and nobody looks at them, how important it is. Because to me, we need to show all these dots. But hopefully, and that's what I believe in bilingualism hopefully we'll be able, or the next generation will be able to connect the dots because we spend years of showing dots, one at a time, then few, now there's more books and there's more shows and there's much, much stuff coming, but we haven't been able yet to put together those dots and make the map of the reality of the Latino, Spanish, Hispanic, whatever you want to call community in this country. And especially in places like New York City, what is unbelievable. It's all over the place. It's in the roots, it's in the trunk, and it's in the branches. It's all over the place. Yeah, you see, and it's not just finding the stories, but it's also the, um, and you will of course understand this, but not everyone um, does, particularly in media, in English language media, is not just um, because, you know, since the start of the Trump presidency, Latinos have become much more visible for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, exactly. uh, and, 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 but it's always just connected to immigration. And there's this monolithic view, but it's not just the monolithic in the sense that they, they, there's no understanding or even interest in understanding the how many how many cultures live within the latino population itself and how many very different interests and very different realities there there's no nuance in how uh, latinos are are seen and and even if uh, the one I, we've seen so many individual stories of uh, how latinos are the victim uh, the one of the main victims of the of the current presidential policy in this country but 
that, that's why I think representation is so important in the newsrooms and uh, it's such a big systemic change needed. I, it's just also that it's the way you approach and you tell the stories and, and what you see in those stories and not trying to always look for the same narrative, you know, like. Puedo in interrumpir. Okay. Por favor, so, por favor. Yeah. So speaking of that, how has the Black Lives Matter movement affected newsrooms and, and has it elevated the voices and stories of Latinos and Hispanics in this country. So, Perdonen, yo cuelgo ya, les, les dejo, yo cuelgo ya, eh? perdónenme. Okay, muchísimas, muchísimas gracias, muchas gracias. Um, so, uh, I think one, uh, well, you, you've seen the reckoning that is taking place now in all of the newsrooms, and there have been, I've been following, that's one of the things I actually wanted to write about, and I've been trying, I've been, you know, making calls and doing a lot of reporting around. So, I think the most interesting case, and it knows, it's not, the only case where it happened, but it's what happened in, the, in, Los, Angeles, in Los Angeles Times, in the, uh, the LA Times, with this uh, first, the creation of a black caucus, and then of a Latino caucus within the, the, New York, the LA Times. To me, the, LA, the Los Angeles Times is just another mind-blowing American story, because it's like, you know, when you first look at the story, you're like, what? So, you know, Los Angeles is 48% Latino. I mean, it's a Latino, it's one of the Latino capitals of this country. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's more Latino than anything else, that city. And uh, the Los Angeles Times is the metro paper for that city. And they don't have enough Latinos to cover the city. And they have one amazing Latina reporter, Esmeralda Bermudez, who is, who, whose beat is the Latino beat. And I'm like, how is that your beat? It's, it's everything. How can you do that? I mean, what is Latino? What are the Latino stories in a Latino city? Everything that happens, right? So, and, and now I think they've had enough. Uh, okay. But so that's the reckoning is one thing. And I think uh, Latinos also in the New York Times, in many other places, uh, in the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, they have said, we're not taking this anymore. You need to change. And they have a program. So I think that's a very interesting case that can be um, replicated in other newsrooms. And I don't think that's going to go away. And, um, and then now, you, if you don't, you know, for a lot of, for the recruiters and the managers in newsrooms, if they don't hire, if they don't change the structure of the newsrooms, uh, they're going to be shamed publicly. So they, they can't afford it. And they lose the, their audiences, which is the way, you know, now membership is such an important. So now the, the audience has so much power. So the, la segunda cosa interesante sobre el, el impacto de Black Lives Matter en, sobre la comunidad latina es que desde hace, no sé cuándo, desde los, desde los años 70 por lo menos hasta lo que yo he averiguado, ha habido un reclamo de eh, activistas eh, latinos en distintas ciudades del país eh, pidiendo que se preste más atención pública a los casos de... Eh, eh, encuentros fatales entre policías y latinos. Normalmente la, la narración eh, conocida, tristemente conocida en este país, es que el, los, eh, si uno es un afroamericano o si uno es negro, tiene las, las chances de morir en un encuentro con la policía son desproporcionadamente altas, y las cifras prueban que eso es cierto. Es decir, eh, hay, una, hay claramente un, 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 una, una muy claramente probada un racismo estructural dentro de las fuerzas policíacas que llevan a que una cantidad enorme, sobre todo de hombres negros en este país, mueran eh, eh, asesinados por policías en, en encuentros que, tendrían, que no tendrían que terminar en violencia. Eh, 
Y eso es parte de la discusión pública y cada tanto, desgraciadamente, cada vez que hay un caso de, alta, de, de, de perfil alto vuelve a ocurrir. Pero nunca se ha, se ha prestado la misma atención, o, o muy, casi no se ha prestado esa atención. Eh, no hay una conciencia nacional de que eso también ocurre con brown people y con latinos en particular. Eh, entonces, ha habido varios momentos en que hay estudios muy interesantes que muestran, por ejemplo, que eh, el, el, un caso exactamente igual de un hombre latino en, en California. En Tucson, en Tucson, oh, Tucson acaba de pasar. Uh, es, bueno. es un chico que, que estaba pidiendo agua, su abuela estaba allí Exacto. mismo. Uh -huh. yeah. Entonces, pero eso es justamente iba a usar ese caso para contar que yo creo que ha habido quizás un cambio, es decir, históricamente, los, sobre todo los medios, pero también los policymakers y, y en general la discusión eh, sobre el reformas de la justicia criminal y reformas de la policía, no han incluido, han sido muy black and white, como muchas de las discusiones raciales sobre raza en este país, sobre temas raciales. Eh, lo que ha pasado ahora, creo yo, es, eh, y he estado leyendo bastante sobre eso, y hay material muy interesante, es que hay una nueva eh, solidaridad black and brown en, en, en el movimiento activista. Ha habido una presencia muy fuerte de, de gente que no es necesariamente black, de, you know, from very different communities, en las manifestaciones de los últimos meses. Y ha, habido, y ha empezado a haber, por primera vez, mayor visibilidad a este otro tema, al tema de que la policía hace profiling, hace you know, fatal encounters, um, uh, con muchísima, desproporcionadamente en relación al, 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 a la cantidad de, de población, con black and brown people, con black and latinos. Entonces, um, hay ahora una oportunidad, eh, y eso me parece a mí que es un cambio importante de señalar de este movi del, del, black, del movimiento Black Lives Matter, que es usado ahora como un modelo para movimientos latinos, para llevar visibilidad a este tema. Y en general a todo el tema de justicia criminal, donde los latinos son severamente, severamente o gravemente undercounted. Pero vamos a tener que ir pronto, pero yo no querría, por si acaso no me toca hablar más, eh, decir adiós sin saber qué significa para ti una palabra que has mencionado antes eh, que utilizas en una de tus clases, platillo, porque para mí español platillo es una cosa que viene del cielo cargado de marcianos, un UFO, un platillo volante. Dije esa palabra porque sé que una vez hubo, apenas empezaron a hacer el New York Times en español en México, era una redacción, era uno como esos chistes de entran a un bar, un colombiano, un mexicano, un argentino y un español. Y entonces esta, esta, la, la discusión sobre platillo creo que fue la que yo escuché una vez, casi llegó a las manos <ríe> y había toda una discusión. Creo que significaba plato, pequeño plato. Eh, como una tapa. No me acuerdo, exacto, pero en argentino tampoco decimos platillo. So I have no idea what it means. Yeah, okay. um, eh, pero platillo volador, sí, en Argentina diríamos platillo volador, supongo. Eh, pero, pero me acordé de ese ejemplo porque siempre lo cita, en una época lo citaba con los estudiantes y, con los, y los estudiantes siempre encuentran, empiezan a encontrar otras palabras con las cuales podemos hacer el mismo. Que es un juego interesante porque ayuda a entender también las influencias eh, de nuestras culturas, ¿verdad? Y de dónde vienen las expresiones y cómo, y cómo es, es algo tan vivo. Where can we find your students' work? Oh, you, you can, yes, so we can, you can go to the web, uh, journalism.cuny.edu and there is a master MA in journalism Spanish language and there are examples ejemplos de links del trabajo de sí. los estudiantes. Uh, yo constantemente estoy retuiteando y como bragging about them en Twitter, 
en mi, en mi feed. Um, mis estudiantes ya son, ya es la quinta, la, acaba de entrar hoy, empezaron las clases, la quinta generación de bilingües. El, el, el porcentaje de employment es altísimo, los estudiantes los bilingües han sido, lanzamos el programa justo el año que ganó Trump, en parte por eso, pero en parte por la falta de ese talento que de verdad era necesario, han sido contratados no solo por medios en español o medios que sirven a latinos, sino también para, para nuestra sorpresa originalmente por una mayoría de medios, eh, tanto nacionales como locales, que solamente eh, que sirven a, como general market, como mainstream media en inglés, pero que han entendido la... Um, la importancia de tener reporteros latinos y reporteras latinos que puedan cubrir no solo inmigración, sino también cubrir el impacto de las políticas del gobierno de Trump sobre las comunidades. De todo so sobre su vida. ¿Verdad? I have one more question okay. for you about a term you use a couple of times and that the Pew Research Center just did a study about, which Latinx. is Latin Latinx. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, and a uh, very few, 3% of uh, yes. people, uh, you know, who are Spanish and English speakers in this country are using that term. It seems to me of the people I know, the only ones who use it are people in university circles. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to just talk about that for just a little minute? Yes, I, yeah, I think I think the the la nomenclatura. I, I mean the 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 languages. The, the the problem, as you know, the the base problem is there's no such thing as a Latino. You know what is it? I mean, it's it's a population that contains so many different communities, right? That who came and some of the commun those communities came to this country were here in this country before. It was it, when it was still Mexico, those big chunks of country that were Mexico and now are, you know, your Southwest. And then, um, then you have people who came for economic reasons, people who came for political reasons as exiles, you know, the Cubans in Miami are not the same, don't have the, don't share, don't have a shared history with the Puerto Ricans in, in New York or with the Mexicans, the Mexicanos in, in Los Angeles. So, you know, the term Hispanic, which is the first thing that was used to refer to this multi-ethnic multi or pan-ethnic ethnic community or population only was created only in the 60s. And it was because the, for, for, for social justice um, movements that, you know, said, you know, that something in common is discrimination for all of these different communities, even if they have different political agendas or different interests and different realities, there's one common thread, which is the discrimination and the lack of power, right? So, which I, totally supports, so the, the idea of creating a larger population, seeing it as a, an umbrella, you know, term for a larger population is very beneficial in terms of, you know, um, uh, empowerment for the, for the communities. But, at, but on a different level of conversation, if we are talking about identity, that is a very tricky thing because, you know, uh, a lot of people define themselves Boricuas or Chicanos or in Miami, go tell people they are Latino. Every, I mean, that doesn't exist in Miami. You are Venezuelan or, or Cubano or Argentino, Colombiano. Nadie, no existe la identidad latina. Um, porque además la identidad latina es como la visión del no latino sobre el latino, ¿verdad? Entonces, los, los términos, ha habido diferentes términos. Hispanic first, de los 60, 70. Univision was instrumental in creating, in kind of, getting Hispanics to accept the term Hispanic or Hispano. Then in the 90s, it was Latino. And then now in the past 10 years, it's been Latinx. And it has to do, of course, with just, not just the, 
uh, racial, ethnic diversity, but the gender diversity. And it is very much, as you said, a term used by academics and coast, in the coasts mostly. What the Pew Center has found is that actually most people who are defined by the term, by people like me, don't know what it is. They've never heard the Latinx. They don't, they don't understand what it is. It doesn't sound Spanish also because of the X. Um, and, and you know, in Latin America, the gender neutral is not an X, but an, but an A. Sería Latine, no Latinx, right? It's Eje, no Lx. Um, so I think I, I think I use it because I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a political statement. It's a way of saying, I'm acknowledging the diversity, I'm acknowledging the, the, the broad, you know, this, I know what I'm saying when I use the word. And I, as you saw, I also say Latino a lot, because I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, um, it, it's, it's the term that really comes more naturally. So, uh, but I use it interchangeably. I, when I refer to a person or to people specifically, I usually use Latinx. But when I talk about a general Latino media, I say Latino. And that's how we use it in our uh, report in the Latino Media Summit. Pew Center uses Hispanic Latino interchangeably as well. When, when it's, there's a distinction, right? Because Hispanic has to do with Espanol and, and, and the Spanish um, origin of, uh, you know, so some people think it's an imperialistic term and they don't like it because it refers to Spain, not just to an Espanol. And then uh, that's why people change it to Latino. But if you go to California or the Southwest, people don't, don't use Latino, they use Hispano to refer to themselves. So I think it's geographical, it's cultural, it's political. I don't care really which, which term you use. I just, as long as I know what you're saying. And I think if you go to specific community or specific people when reporting, you should ask the people how do they identify. Some, some Latinos don't, think, don't see themselves as Latinos. They will say, I'm an Americano, you know, they say, I'm you know, uh, or, or, or um, something else. I mean, our identities are always so multi-layered. Um, but I think it was interesting to show that only that, you know, I think it's also a, if you went, if you did that same um, um, uh, study in the 70s and asked people how many identify as Hispanics, you would have probably find the same, found the same results because it takes time for these terms to be adopted and because they have to be, living and they have to mean something to you. It can be an artificial imposition. Interesting. <laughs> Who decides what, you know, and I think in the end, like you say, like, how do people identify themselves is the mm -hmm. key. Yeah. And it depends on where. I, sometimes I'm a Latina, but sometimes I'm an Argentina. Sometimes I'm neither because I'm talking about something else. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> little labels, right? And in little boxes, it depends, you know. Exacto. How, so how people depende, organize it. Yeah. yeah. Depende que quieras decir, right? Yeah. yeah. Pues yo quiero decir adiós y muchas gracias. Es lo que es <laughs> bueno, lo que es lo que quiero decir. Entonces, eh, te digo adiós como Latina, como Hispana, como Argentina y como señora Mochfosky. Profesora Mochfosky, ¿cómo te llaman a ti? La profe, la Mochfosky, ¿cómo te llaman? I don't know. ¿Quién sabe? A mí, okay. a mis espaldas, okay. who knows? Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Okay, thank gracias you, a ustedes. Thank you, President of Parliament. Hasta la próxima. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.